This is the Savvy Philanthropist Podcast. My name is Kirk. We are a financial planning podcast for people who want to do philanthropy well. Whether you're a donor trying to do some good in the world, or you're a development officer trying to connect resources with the people who need them, this podcast is all about how to navigate our U.S. legal and financial system in order to make the greatest philanthropic impact you can. This is Episode 16, an interview with Tim Kachuriak. Next After is a national fundraising research lab and consulting firm that helps businesses and nonprofits do philanthropy well. Tim Kachuriak is the company's founder and chief innovation and optimization officer. He was kind enough to sit down with me for a conversation about the really cool work Next After is doing and why people give. This is the Savvy Philanthropist. I'm here with Tim Kachuriak of Next After. Tim, thank you for making the time to talk with us today. Kirk, thanks for having me, man. Absolutely. Well, Tim is the uh, founder uh, and uh, leader of a group called Next After, which is a uh, firm that does a lot of research, a lot of work in the development space. I'm going to ask Tim, maybe you can give us a little background on what your organization does, uh, the work that you're doing, and how you're trying to change the world. Sure. I'd be happy to. So Next After is really three things. We are a fundraising research lab. We're a consultancy, and we are a training institute. And I'll kind of briefly describe each of those three pieces and how they fit together to form, I think, our unique value proposition. So starting first with the research, we do two types of research here at Next After, both forensic research and applied. When I refer to forensic research, basically what that means is we're analyzing large amounts of data across the nonprofit sector, across multiple different verticals within the sector. And what we're looking for in the data is patterns that lead to opportunities to unlock greater digital fundraising performance. So we are hyper, hyper focused around digital. We believe like many, it's the future of fundraising, but okay. it's still an underdeveloped channel for many organizations. Well, real quickly, if I can inter interject there, just a quick mm -hmm. question. Where do you get a lot of that data when you're doing that forensic analysis? Yeah, so, so that's the challenge because what we're most interested in is trying to experience the charity, the nonprofit, the NGO from the donor's point yeah. of view. And sure, so we sure. found the best way to capture that perspective is by becoming donors ourselves. So okay. that's how we collect the data is we do these big mystery donor studies about four times a year where oh. we'll go and subscribe to hundreds of different organizations. We'll monitor everything that they send us, every email, text message, voicemail. And then when they ask us to give a gift, we'll go give a gift as small as $20, as large as $5,000, and then continue to monitor how they communicate with us over time. So we're basically generating our own data from the perspective of a potential donor. So wait, I want to make sure I understand that mm -hmm. model because it sounds really cool. What you're doing is sort of a stealth donor experience. Now, are you engaged by a particular NGO to do that work or is that just what you do on your own to say, let's generate the data, see what the experience is and then take that, those conclusions out to the NGOs? That's exactly right. So, ah. so we, we, we are the ones that generate the list. And what we're trying to do is try to get a wide swath of the nonprofit sector. So we'll usually kind of target 10 or 12 different industry verticals and probably have 10 to 12 organizations in each of those different okay. vertical buckets so that we can kind of look at things across the sector and try to get an, an understanding. But yes, the NGO has no idea. The nonprofit has no oh, wow. idea that we're shopping them. So it's kind of like a mystery stealth mode, like, as you mentioned. So, so as a person who works in philanthropy full-time, I'm going to guess you see a wide variety of experiences, some it's better than others. Sure. Yep. It's all over the map. And so that's that's kind of, we take a lot of the things that we learn by doing that mystery donor stuff and we use it to power the other kind of research we do, which is applied research. Okay. And that's where we're actually working directly with nonprofits and we're helping them to launch experiments to try to you know, improve performance uh, in their digital communications. Okay, so you start with your forensic mm -hmm. research, develop your data sets, 
take that to a nonprofit to say, okay, now we can apply this specifically to your scenario. And then you're running a similar test, but from their side of the table, so to speak, analyzing their data. And I'm going to guess, then I'm going to guess that consulting piece is, okay, now we have data from both sides of the table. How do we make it a better experience for the donor? That's precisely right. That's right. And we take also that same research and experimentation data and use it to power our our Next After Institute, which is kind of the training and equipping arm of Next After. Tell me a little bit more about that. How do you, uh, how do you work with charities to train them and help them kind of build out that experience? Yeah, we have a variety of different ways. So we have tons of like free resources. So we distill down all the things that we learned from our research and testing into different free resources, templates, guides, eBooks. We've got you know webinars that we do twice a month. Okay. For those that want to go deeper, we've developed nine different certification courses. And then we also host uh, annual conferences, one called the Nonprofit Innovation Optimization Summit, which is, you know, usually in person has about a thousand or so attendees. Um, And then we also host a few smaller kind of more innovation exchange uh, type of conferences with like 25 to 30 people. Um, I wish I could make it to one of those conferences pretty soon, because I think (laughs) that sounds like a really cool (laughs) opportunity. Well, you know, one of our real focuses here on the Savvy Philanthropist is trying to help people do philanthropy well. A lot of that has to do with how charities share their stories Mm -hmm. and how donors, to your point, experience that and feel like they can make a positive difference. So in all of that research that you've been doing for a number of years, uh, I think you've used the phrase that humanity trumps everything when we're talking about that sort of fundraising, maybe you can explain to us kind of what you mean by that and how you've pulled that from the data. Yeah. I think, you know, sometimes our marketing or fundraising vernacular gets in the way of our humanity. Um, you know, <laughs> we, we sometimes try to be too cutesy and we try to, you know, really be too persuasive when the best way to be persuasive is to be real, to be authentic yeah. and to yeah. be transparent and to communicate with clarity, right? Because okay. you know, many times, you know, when we do these mystery shopper, mystery donor studies, we encounter these donation pages and we have no idea what we're even giving to. <laughs> and that's a big problem for the donor, especially the uninitiated potential donor who's never actually given a gift to you uh, in the first place. Okay. And so, you know, what, what when I say like, you know, we need to add more humanity into our marketing and our communication experience. It's about really trying to get ourselves out of the way, uh, get our organization out of the way so that we can actually you know, facilitate this people to people type of connection, which is what really uh, moves people to give based on our research. So let me reflect on what you just said there a minute ago. Take the organization out of the way and focus on human to, or people to people connections. One of the things that I see in the digital space and in the analog space is a lot of fundraising efforts that start with our organization needs X thousand dollars in order to reach our goal. You can be part of the team helping us reach a new fundraising goal or whatever. Mm-hmm. That's never resonated with me. What do you, <laughs> how do you see that in the data as being an effective or op, maybe an obstacle to effective fundraising? Yeah. I mean, we've run um, like specific experiments, like where we replace the words are we, us, our organization name with like you, you, you. So like basically like just changing pronouns. And what we find is it actually increases performance significantly because it's not about us. That's the right. problem. It's like we, we're so kind of entrenched in what we're doing every single day. And we're so happy and proud of it. And, you know, and we think that the donor looks at us the same way that we look at ourselves. And that's just simply not true. Right. So we need to be talking about the things we're trying to do, the change we're trying to make in the world, not the organization. 
right? And how well, the donor is making those changes through their partnership, through through their gift, through their through their impact. Yeah. So so this is really getting me thinking because I think what you're saying has a lot of value. A little twist I'd love to, to hear your thoughts on is, you know, people give to the mission. They want to have that experience, but they give through the development team or the development work and have some sort of relationship with those fundraising people or programs. How does the, how do the people in those roles impact the fundraising? Tremendously. So, so yeah. let me give you the, the macro founding out of okay. like the meta finding from like all of our 10 <laughs> years of research. Um, people give to people, not to email machines, not okay. to websites, not to direct mail campaigns, people give to people. And so the more that we can actually build a seemingly one-to-one connection between one person at the organization or one recipient and a donor, like the more that we can do that, the more effective our fundraising is going to be. Let me give you an example. Okay. okay. So this is a very pragmatic thing that we have, we've run this experiment with dozens of organizations. We've done it in different countries. We've done it in different languages. If you look at most nonprofit fundraising emails, they're very heavily designed. They've got lots of HTML and images and graphics right. and big clickable buttons. And for the really big organizations, if you read the copy, it sounds like it's written from a professional marketer or copywriter because it usually in fact is. Exactly. And the problem with that approach, which everyone does, by the way, mm-hmm. is that when a potential donor sees that in their inbox, all they see is somebody trying to market to them. But people right. don't want to be marketed to. They want to be communicated with. Okay. So what we've tested is going hard in the opposite direction, getting rid of the images, get rid of the HTML, get rid of the graphics, Ooh. the buttons, and even rewriting the email. So it sounds like it's coming from one human to another human. And when we take that approach and do a head-to-head AB split test, what we find is, find is 200, 300, 400, sometimes 500% increase in donations by taking this more simplistic one-to-one, you know, authentic approach. So that validates this whole idea that people do in fact give to people uh, but, not to organizations. That sounds really uh, very interesting because you're describing the emails that we all see all the time, mm-hmm. right? The, the professionally marketed ones. Very interested to think through uh, a little bit how that more simple, direct approach works. And that kind of leads to sort of the, the a big question that I've had around this space. You know, you're really focused on the digital space, obviously, right? But you're also saying that human to human connections are really the key to effectively communicating the important work that people want to do, donors want to do and charities want to do. So how do you combine those two? How do you make that human connection through the digital space? Well, like just the example I just gave you of of humanizing the communication and actually sending emails like from a person at your organization, not the organization name. That's things that we've tested over and over and over again when you actually send it from a human. Like, so it's like, you know, from Bob Smith versus from, you know, uscharity.org. (laughs) <laughs> uh, higher open rates, higher engagement rates, and, and higher response rates by just doing simple, simple things like that. So it really is about building a relationship. Oh, here's another one. When a donor or potential donor replies to your email, reply back, engage them in a conversation. <laughs> I mean, how, how, you know, original just to like, think about like, you know, using email is not just this machine gun that we're going to go and right. like blast people with, mm-hmm. but it's actually a vehicle to have a real, authentic, genuine conversation. So what I hear there, and I think something that is a great point to make in order to do what you're saying, to be able to engage that personally, there needs to be margin or space in the fundraising staff or in the the staff of the organization to do that, which suggests that making that investment of people in the organization available 
to the donors is a real central element to making that work. Am I seeing that right? Well, absolutely. I mean, if, if that's, if, if the job of the development folks are not to build relationships with donors, then I would question what are they doing there in the first place? <laughs> They're meeting their metrics. Yeah. Or, or whatever it is. <laughs> well, so, so it, it sounds like you have got a great deal of data to make your value proposition and people are starting to hear that, right? If you've got a thousand people sitting at a conference to hear about how to uh, 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 communicate those things more effectively, it seems like you're making a great impact. It's been a, uh, a wild journey. I mean, I think we have about like 70 or 80,000 people that follow our content online, uh, which I had no idea that there's that much interest in digital <laughs> fundraising since it's always been just kind of like a, a smaller subset of overall direct response fundraising. But it seems that I think folks are, especially COVID, I think COVID kind of yeah. gave everybody that violent shove into digital transformation. Right. And it was the first year, 2020 was the first year that digital surpassed 10% of total uh, contribution revenue. It was actually 13% in 2020. Really? And so, yeah. And so that was the first time that that's ever happened. And, and you know, a lot of the e-commerce trends have mirrored that. And so I think now people are kind of really more open to this idea that, you know, this digital world is not just a, it's not just a fad. Well, <laughs> it's actually part of the fabric of our lives now. I think that's exactly right. Um, and I do know as a lot of charities or budgets are always a little uh, stretched or thin, there's a scalability to digital that mm -hmm. makes it attractive. But I really appreciate your point that you can't just scale it by shotgunning 87 emails out a day and figure the money somehow is gonna show up. It has to be part of an intentional strategy to engage people. And if you do that, it can really work out. That's right. Now, do you use other digital tools like you know videos or you know Facebook marketing or all those sorts of things? Or is it really an email kind of focus? Yeah, no, 100%. And the reason why we put a lot of focus on email, why I use a lot of examples is because that's the medium that we can really control. Like mm -hmm. I can go and we can run Facebook ads or we can run Google ads or we can do you know programmatic advertising or display or TV or whatever. But, but a lot of that stuff is kind of like a broadcast type of approach. And I'm kind of spraying out into hopefully a, a you know, narrowly targeted audience. Right. But when I actually have somebody's email address, that means that we're, we've already entered into a relationship. The value exchange has already started. They've given me something of value to them, their personal contact information mm -hmm. in exchange for information that I'm providing them about this charity and this opportunity and this, you know, maybe this content that's hopefully stirring their heart and their soul and wanting to, you know, help participate in the work. So that's why I think email is, is pretty interesting channel. And it's probably underused by many of us because, we are just using it as this uh, machine gun. Yeah, you know, I would agree that it's underused and also overused. Yeah, I think yeah, there's way point. too many emails out there, <laughs> right. but not nearly enough thoughtful, intentional. But they're crappy. Coding. I mean, the right. reason why digital exactly marketing right. is so bad is mm -hmm. because the barriers to entry are so low, right? Exactly. Like, I mean, at least like, you know, if, when people would send direct mail, you know, they got to go hire like a mailing company to go help right. them with that. And they're spending money. Every single piece that goes right. in the mail is has an incremental cost to them. And so they're going to take it a lot more seriously where it's emails. Just, I just hit a button, just like blast it out. <laughs> so you're exactly right. So Tim, I think what you're saying makes a ton of sense. I'm obviously going to be taking some from this uh, to my work. I'm going to talk to some people down the hall, <laughs> to be perfectly frank. Um, I really appreciate what you've had to say here. So uh, I think we're going to end it right there because I think what you've said gives me a lot to think about. I hope it gives our listeners a lot to think about. If people want to join that army of folks following your content, what is the best way for them to reach out and connect with you? The uh, simplest thing is just go to nextafter.com. You can access all of our experiments, all of our research. It's all there, open source, waiting for you. That's fantastic. Well, Tim, again, thank you so much for taking the time. I really appreciate it. This is the Savvy Philanthropist signing off. Awesome. Thanks, Kirk.
If you're enjoying this podcast, be sure to click subscribe so you don't miss any episodes. If you know other people who might find this podcast worthwhile, please share it on your social media platform of choice. And if you're feeling particularly generous, a rating or review for the show on whatever podcast service you use would really help to get the word out about the show. You can find The Savvy Philanthropist on the internet at thesavvyphilanthropist.net. You can also find me on LinkedIn at the link below in the show notes, and you can follow me on Twitter where I am at RossPlan. Lastly, if you have any ideas, suggestions, or helpful insights, feel free to email me at thesavvyphilanthropist at gmail.com. That's it for episode 16. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week with the final wrap-up episode of our introductory series on the structure of modern philanthropy. Until then, remember, do well, then do good, but always be savvy.